give you a chance to stretch out now and less reason for you to stretch out later. And uh, so just to stretch out, I want to read you a text tonight and do my best to try to give you two real important things in the Christian life uh, that are imperative if you're going to make it through in the last days. Now, I know preachers have been saying for years, you know, we're in the last days and we're drawing close to an end and those kinds of things. But when you start seeing things going on over in Israel, um, you should get your attention. Now, does that mean I know when the rapture is going to be? No. Matter of fact, what I teach as far as the rapture is concerned is, if you're ready to die, you're ready for the rapture no matter when it happens. Uh, don't get too hung up in trying to figure out exactly when it is. One of the reasons is, is because sometimes... You get so caught up in eschatology or prophetic events that you read things into uh, a, to a current events that are not there. And uh, can I say this to you, and it's not fair to you, but preachers are deserting the Bible and picking up headlines, spending more time on the Internet and more time looking at what's going on in the Jerusalem Post than they are in the Bible. And uh, that's bad for you because that's not sheep food. If you're saved here tonight, you're supposed to eat sheep food. The sheep food comes from that book right there. It doesn't come from the internet. It doesn't come from the, uh, the headlines, you know, ripped from the headlines and something that's happening. Uh, if there was ever a time that the Lord should have come back, it should have been during Hitler's reign. Of all the ones that came along, he's probably the greatest type of the Antichrist, anti-Semitic, going through, taking over the world, going to be a world leader, trying to bring in the third thousand-year reign, the third Reich there, and those kind of things, and persecuting Jews, putting them in prison, putting them in jail, and burning them in ovens. And that was 48 and 49, and then they're out of there, and then we come, I mean, in 48 and 49, they become a nation, and now all of a sudden you have things that look like, wow, you know what, maybe it's coming together. It hadn't come together yet. So I don't know what's going on now. I realize they're opening up silos, and they're threatening and you know, rattling sabers and all that. What you have to be ready for is the judgment seat of Christ. You have to be ready to make sure that if tonight's the night the Lord blows the horn or if we you know, get turned into a pink mist, that you're ready to go. And there's two things that are going to be imperative for you to have if you're going to be ready to go. Besides your salvation. Now, if you'll concentrate on these two things that I'm going to give you tonight, you know what it'll do? It'll help you with your gossip and tongue and your bitterness. It'll help you with your slander and your evil speaking. It'll help you with the things that we don't talk about, the sins of the Spirit, that nobody else can see. Jealousy and envy and backbiting and those kind of things, which I'm sure none of you have that. Strife and emulations, I'm sure you don't have any of that. But for those of you that do have, this is a good cure for it. Instead of focusing on the things that you have and worrying about how you struggle with it, is it possible that you have allowed an opening there to come in and as a result the wrong things have filled the hole? I'm a big advocate of, instead of pulling those things out, let's just put the right stuff in, and you might be surprised how quickly it'll drive that stuff out. That's more of a positive approach than let's get an excavator and tear out some things and then put some things in. Let's just let the good things push the other things out. All right, John chapter 20, we'll pick it up in verse number 1, the first day of the week, cometh Mary Magdalene. Can I say this to you? All four Gospels within the first few verses mention her as being the first one to the tomb. You know who Mary Magdalene is, right? She's a whole, uh, prostitute, right? She had seven devils in her. Isn't it interesting that the ones the Lord does the most for seem to be the first ones to go around to do something for him? 
you know what I see in that right there? I see individuals and Christians, I guess they must not think God did much for them because they're the last one to the altar and the last one to the tomb and the last one to sing a special and the last one to work in the nursery and the last one to be on the cleaning schedule and the last one to be on the lawn maintenance and the last one to be. You ever notice that? You know what I've noticed? I've noticed I've never had an individual that got saved off the streets and things like that or out of a jail or out of a prison or got saved out of a bad life of drugs or drunkenness or any number of other things of despicable behavior. I've never had a problem finding them when there's work to be done. It's the good people. I know you don't have good people here. I know you're all, in, you know, and you're, not, and you're not good people. It's the people that are too good to do the common things. I got two amens and I got that look like you better move on. <laughs> You look spiritually constipated tonight. <laughs> and the Bible says, And when it was yet dark into the sepulcher, and seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that be John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter, because Peter had been eating donuts, and came to the first sepulcher. That's not in your Bible? Oh, that's right. I forgot I was a policeman. You know how we love donuts. The Bible says this, and he stooping down, that would be John, looking in, linen clothes lying, and he went yet not in. And then notice, then cometh Simon Peter and following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, and lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place itself. Then went also the other disciple and came to the first se- that came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must again rise again. And the disciples went away again unto their own house. Father, we thank you for the scripture that we've read tonight. We thank you for the passage. We thank you for what it represents for us. Lord, would you allow me now to be a pipe and let some uh, water from up in heaven run through and feed your thirsty people and give them some bread to eat, we pray, Lord, and ask now your blessings about what we're about to undertake. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. And I said to you that there'll be a couple of things maybe mentioned tonight uh, that are imperative. I, I think the first thing that you have to see in the passage here is recognize the crucifixion has occurred and everyone that is there is under the threat of certain death. But not just a death, a quick death. There's a difference in a quick death and a torturous death. There's a difference in a death that happens to you instantaneously and you didn't even know it was coming and then the dread and the fear of not knowing how it's coming. Uh, Because of what I used to do and because of even what I do now, I've been around death in its last final moments. And I have to tell you, the uncertainty of those things can sometimes be earth-shaking. Not knowing is it going to hurt. Not knowing am I going to feel like I'm drowning. Am I going to be nervous. Am I going to, is the Lord going to show up. Is an angel coming to get me. I mean I've heard a number of things that happen. But can I say this, they're unsure what's going to take place. But worse than that is, is knowing that if they catch me, I die. I mean, think about that as going on. And this is a woman, gentlemen, that's going out in the dark by herself originally and then comes back later with the other ladies, not the men. They have to go back to the house because the men are sleeping in while the ladies are busy about doing what needs to be done. That ought to put you under conviction. You say, why? There seems to be a a, a gear in most women that have this tendency, this propensity to know a good man when they see it and they don't mind serving the Lord as much as men seem to mind serving the Lord. 
Now, I realize the Lord started with men. I realize he started with a man in the garden. I realize he picked 12 apostles. One was a devil, and then he picked someone else. I realize in all the Old Testament that it was all male. But there's something in that female, something in that woman, that develops a courage and a, a, a desire that when it comes to helping someone that helped them, they have this payback theology, I need to get back over there and do something. And they're willing to put their own life and limb at stake. Women uh, in the war, many, many times, especially Civil War, if you read much about that, more than just Florence Nightingale, but if you read about the women during great fevers and plagues and the Chicago fire and you read about World War I and World War II, horrible, horrible atrocities going on. It's the women in the hospitals doing the work and there were very few doctors, but they had plenty of nurses. And while men were out getting shot and blown up and all the other things happening in combat, the women are back there and they're the ones taking care of the wounded. I wonder sometimes if we give women the amount of recognition they need. I wonder if sometimes the reason that they're always looking to get recognition is because we don't give them recognition. I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know if that's possible or not, but sometimes big mouth women are big mouth because they don't get recognition. And then sometimes women are demon possessed. <laughs> Amen. You say, well, how do you know that? You remember the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter number 5, don't you? Always going about crying and cutting himself and can't sleep and hanging around dead things. Well, not being in control of your emotions is an indicator. They behold all high things. What are they doing? Well, they're trying to knock you off the throne. Right? That's what the devil did. Let me move on. I don't want to get into that stuff. I just lost the crowd right there. It's like, when you were pumping us up, now you done popped us with a balloon. I mean, popped us with a pen. But let me tell you this about Mary Magdalene. I believe that you find out in those first things, and God takes the time through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all four different guys write all four different Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them are the same. They all come from different backgrounds, every one of them. But the Holy Spirit inspires them to put her name in this account. Why? I believe it's because that was the Lord's way of saying, she appreciated what I did for her. How about you? You realize no man had ever helped her before. No man had ever done anything for her before. I mean, if there was anybody else that would be like her, it'd be the woman at the well. And the woman at the well that nobody wanted to do anything but to use her. And she had five other husbands. You remember that story. And then all of a sudden the Lord comes in there and he's not looking for something from her. He's looking to give her something. That had never happened to that girl before. But women have that, ten that tendency. And if you get the loyalty and you get the love of a woman behind you like that, they're loyal as a pit bull, man. I mean, they'll fight for you and they'll stand for you and all that once you capture their heart, if you got their heart. Amen. But this woman right here must be something special to the Lord because you'll find out in just a minute that the Lord's going to appear to her. Isn't that odd to you? Don't you think that's strange of all the people the Lord could have appeared to? Why didn't he appear up on a mountain or on the pinnacle of the temple? Why didn't he make himself known through the internet or write it up in the clouds somewhere? Instead, you know what he does? He comes over there to talk to a woman. You say, who was that? Everybody else had deserted her. She stayed around. That Bible says that she came running to the tomb and when they found out and the angel says in one account, uh, he's not here, he is risen, go back and tell him. And she runs back and tells him and she goes to Pete and John there and says, hey man, uh, they've stolen the Lord. She's deceived. I mean, can you imagine? She's been around the Lord long enough to know that there's going to be a resurrection. But ladies and gentlemen, can I say this to you, especially when you're dealing with people that telling somebody that somebody was raised from the dead, that's hard to believe. 
I mean, for you and I, we're like, death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. We're like, it's not a big deal. It's like, no, death, burial, somebody came up from the dead. Well, you didn't see it. You believe it by faith. But when you're telling that to someone else, that literally the, the, the main point, the center point of our faith has to do with that resurrection from the dead, that's what separates us from every other religion. They don't have a problem believing a martyr died. They have a problem believing he rose again. And Mary doesn't know anything here. And the Bible says Mary came back and doesn't say, the angel told her in one account, he is risen. Interpretation by her, what'd she do? She go back and said, they've stolen the body. Right? That happens sometimes. If you've been married any amount of time at all, you say one thing, they hear something else. <laughs> that ever happened to any of you at all, ever before? You're like, that's not what I said. It's not that it's not what you said, it's not what they heard. And it ain't always the women. Let's move on again. <laughs> Circle back around on that one. <laughs> so she goes and gets him, and then guess what happens? Here comes Pete and John, and John stops at the door. He's not quite as bold as Peter is. I think one of the reasons that Peter comes blasting by John is he's thinking to himself, man, the last time he saw the Lord, you know what happened? He's over there. The Lord comes out of the praetorium there, and he has been beaten to a pulp, and he's bleeding and covered in mucus and spittle, and, and he's had his beard plucked out, man, and, and had a crown of thorns placed upon his head, and he's over there walking around, and all he does is just look up there at Peter. That's the last thing Peter saw. And I think maybe Peter is running over there. You know what I think he's thinking? Maybe if I can catch him. Maybe if he's there. Maybe I can make up for it if they have stolen. Maybe I can find him. And if I find him, maybe it'll relieve some of the guilt I feel. All right, here's number one if you want to grab a hold of it. Sometimes you need to run to the Lord because you need to get some things off your chest. I think Peter is being bold there because he's figuring maybe there's something I can do. Look, there's no substitution for forgiveness. There's nothing like being able to come to the Lord. You're over there singing, you know, that your sins are blotted out and your sins if they're under the blood and, and that kind of a thing. And the third stanza of that thing, my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. I guess you must not be sinners, man. You take a roof off of the place. Because what stands between you and him is your sin. After you're saved, guess what? Your, your sin is still there. Now it's been washed away, and now there's nothing between you and him. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter your race, color, creed, sex, nothing of that. None of your gender and all that junk. The fact is you were a sinner, can't have fellowship with the holy God. He died in your place. You accepted that, and now that hall has been taken out of the way or nailed to the cross. And so now all of a sudden we struggle with the fact that now that I'm saved, I can still let sin get between me and my fellowship with him. But can I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, as gently as I know how to say this to you, Bible believers are consumed with guilt. Bible believers, because they read their Bible and because they have a tendency to listen to preachers that, in my opinion, now that's my contemporaries and just my opinion, the best preachers there are on the planet are independent Baptist preachers. They're not all perfect, but they're good preachers. They still believe the book. And when you get that kind of stuff hammering away at your soul on a regular basis, you know what it can make you do? It can make you look back and instead of saying, thank God for that and thank God for that and thank God for that and thank God for that, you go, well, I messed up there and 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 I shouldn't have done that and I shouldn't have done that and I shouldn't have done that. And you know what that is? That's the devil taking you back and making you try to take away what the blood's done for you. 
One of the most difficult things that people have to deal with in the world I'm in. I'm talking about Christians that are in church on Tuesday night. You realize these people going back and forth up here, what a testimony. Look, maybe you have a problem with public witness. You pulled in a parking lot tonight. You're coming to church. Those people are driving by. The Lord's giving you every time somebody comes by and rise. What are that bunch of idiots doing in there? And the Lord said, give them another ditty mark, give them another ditty mark. They see your car parked there, and they're thinking, man, why are those people there? They're crazy. They're looking for something. They drive by and look at that kind of stuff. You say, what it is, a testimony. But you know what will destroy you? What will destroy you is, is you get in church, and the next thing you know, you get to feeling guilty about things you did in your past. Uh, you got to be careful with that, ladies and gentlemen. You ask the Lord to forgive you, and I hate to tell you this, the Lord will forgive you, but the brethren won't forget <laughs> They use it to manipulate or use it to control you. One of the first things you find in the Bible in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve messed up, the first thing the Lord does there is he has an altar and he puts a couple of lambs on there and gives the lamb skins to Adam and Eve and gives them the covering and the blood gets shed there and those kind of things because they had something wrong between them and God. Now, if you ever want to have real revival in your soul and you don't want to be a vessel for being demon-possessed and you want to be a vessel unto honor, 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you want those things to take place in your life, you're going to have to learn to keep short accounts with the Lord. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you don't sin. And now when you sin, you've got a megaphone going off inside you, and that's the Holy Spirit saying to you, you know you messed up. Now you know you messed up. Now you know you messed up. And well, I don't need to get resaved. I'm not making you doubt your salvation. I'm telling you that when you got saved, before you got saved, you had two hands, right? Right? Okay, let me ask you a question. After you got saved, don't you still have two hands? Well, sure, you say, well, preacher, that's kind of stupid. No, you think that now that I got saved, everything's been replaced. No, that same old habit that you had before you got saved, it's right there, but now you've got to put a chain on it. That's the difficulty. Listen, evidence of being able to kick a bad habit is only the ability of the Holy Spirit to help you with discipline to get it over. It's not evidence of your salvation. I know a guy that had a struggle, and he struggled until, I mean, I'm telling you, he struggled all the way to the end of the life. He used to drive trucks for a living. His family is still in the church. Nearly every one of them has been there. She's been there with me. Oh, she's been there nearly 30 years, I guess now, at least 28 years, I guess. I buried her husband years ago. You say what? He fought cigarettes his whole life and died from it. You say, where were you? I was by his bed when he died. You say, well, why would you do that? He was saved. He was going to heaven. But I tell you this, his cigarettes did a whole lot less damage than a bunch of gossip and tongues have done in my church. I mean, he struggled with it, but he was trying to kick it. He felt bad about it. He worked at it. Do you work at it that way? See, there's clean sins and dirty sins. Some of the dirty sins, you know, they leave the smell of alcohol on your breath, and they leave the smell of, uh, of cigarettes on your clothes, and they leave, you know, stains on your teeth from chewing tobacco, or they leave a sort of a stench in your mouth from a filthy mouth and those kind of things. Uh, God help you if your eyes have gotten burned out looking at stuff you got no business looking at. But when you start doing that, you know what happens? You start realizing, you know what, there's something between my soul and my Savior. That's Charlie Tenney that wrote that. If you ever study the story of Charlie Tenney, you'll find out his mother was beaten to death right in front of him when he was a little boy. And his daddy was taken away from him and sold to somebody else. He had the hair beat off the back of his head. His shirt used to get stuck to him. Little black boy over there. And then he tried to learn to read. He used to go to church, walk 14 miles one way to go to church. 
And come to the end of that whole deal in the Civil War there, he went up in the northern part of the country and tried to start a church up there, and they laughed at him and mocked him because he couldn't hardly read. And then he wound up uh, just a little short time later after he taught himself to read, and he had to have two services every Sunday in order to get all the people in there because he'd run around 4,000 a Sunday in two services. And he's a black guy preaching to white people. You say, what is that? That's an individual God thing's right between them and the Lord. You don't think that boy had a little bit of bitterness? You know what he wrote? Nothing between my soul and my Savior. There's the secret. I'm telling you, if you don't get past step number one today, that when you run there to the all, I think Mary is looking back and saying, after all he did for me, the least I can do is go over there and anoint his body and help him not to stink so bad and so on and so forth. And you got Peter and John there, and Peter and John, they look in there, and then guess what happens? They look in there and they can't find him, and they obviously heard what the angel said, but the Bible said, yet they knew not. Here's point number two. Sometimes you need definite or definitive direction. You say, where do you get that? Well, you've got to pray. I'm telling you, pray. Where do you pray? You make an altar out of any place. Last night, they had a little bit of room up here. You know, got a lot of room. You're stuffed in here like sardines. But a lot of you came to the altar last night. But you can make an altar out of your car dash. You can make an altar beside your bed. You can make an altar under your desk. You can make an altar anywhere. But you know what winds up happening? Sometimes you've got to have direction. Over there in Genesis chapter number 15, when Abram is trying to find direction, he said, Lord, how will I know that I'm going to be as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea? And the Lord said, make an offering, make a sacrifice. And he makes 14 trips to the altar before God utters one word. Now, I'm not trying to be hard on you, but have you ever prayed that hard about anything in your life? I mean, other than your kid that's gone prodigal? Other than something that means something to you, like you need some financial aid? You ever prayed that hard about your bitterness or your anger or your wrath? You ever prayed about your lack of fellowship with the Lord, your coldness, your deadness? You ever pray about that? That happens to all of us. And the next thing you know, what we do is we get further and further. When's the last time that you started and stayed and started and stayed and started and stayed until God answered you? I'm talking about pleading and prayer and saying, God, do something. That boy goes 14 times to an altar, and then the Lord puts him out. He must have been exalted because he said he was sound asleep in the horrors of darkness. And by the way, that's a land grant that's right there, if you want to know where that came from. That's in Genesis chapter number 15, the Nehidekel and the Tigris and Euphrates, and he makes an area that's there for him. And that's the land where you're at right now. That land is not the West Bank. That land over there is Canaan. And what that land they're calling Palestine, it was, that's a Roman name for that. That's God's land. He gave that to Abraham. When he was sleeping, there was no condition to it. He gave it to him and said, if you do this and if you, no, no, no ifs and all. That's your land. I'm giving it to you. And so it belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but ultimately it's God's land. And those people are over there, and I'm just going to make this suggestion to you. I feel compelled to tell you, you better watch this political rhetoric and which side you choose. You better stick with Israel no matter what you think you know about anything. You better recognize that's God's people and that's God's land, and that settles it. That's it. I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. You know, whether you're in uh, Zechariah 12 yet or not, whether they're burdensome or a trembling stone yet, I don't know, but I know this. Their end result, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. And don't hook your wagon to that. Now all of a sudden the queers are getting on the bandwagon and, and the black is beautiful people are getting on that or black lives matter and women's lib are getting on that and all this other kind of stuff. Like you're a Jew being persecuted. 
You're just an opportunist is what you are. You better be careful about doing that stuff and using your to wave your flag. I need women's rights, ERA. I know what ERA is. You say, what is it? Eve ruined Adam. You didn't know that? <laughs> but you know what you better learn to do? You better learn that altar, making an altar a part of your life is a big part of the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen. And if you'll make a lot of the altar, the altar will make a lot out of you. You say, what is it? it's a humbling thing. In the middle of a preacher's sermon, he might be preaching on liquor or alcohol or something. And the Lord says, hey, get up and come on down here and talk to me. He's like, well, I don't want to go down there. I don't have a problem drinking. <laughs> that flesh will jump up at you all the time. You know what? Sometimes it just needs to be drugged down there and talked to for a while. Yeah. That boy makes 14 trips down there offering the lamb, the ram, the he goat, the turtle dove, the pigeon, and all the other stuff and divide it up and get it laid up there. And then he goes to sleep there and God gives him direction. You know what they're looking for in that passage? It's a great time to pray when you don't know what to do. I mean, before you got GPSs and you got computers and you got all this other stuff, you'd be stuck on the backside of nowhere. You didn't know where a gas station was or nothing. You know what we did back then? We prayed. God, which way do I go? Now, if you got your wife in the car with you, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> She'll be glad to tell you which way you're supposed to go and tell you what turn you missed and if you'd have just, you know, that kind of thing. But, but, but I'm just saying, my wife's better than the GPS. We have a name for the woman in my car. I don't know that's why I'm always a woman. But you ever, I don't know, y'all got a male GPS in your car? If you're a male and you got a male GPS, we got a problem. I'm just saying, hey man, turn right. It's like, <laughs> oh no, you didn't. <laughs> Change that button. <laughs> we call her Joan in our car, man. She says, go ahead and turn Joan on. I said, no, I got you. I'm good. She goes, nope, turn on Joan. I'm taking a nap, you know. <laughs> but, but you'd be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes instead of going to the Lord in prayer and coming to the altar and asking God for direction, we're looking for this instantaneous answer. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is one of being made, molded, and shaped your entire life until you're in the box. None of us mature, none of us are ready, and God makes us and molds us along the way. And sometimes we uh, bulk back, back off against it and balk at it, and we don't want anything to do with it. And so the Lord just lets you set for a while. That Bible teaches you in the book of Jeremiah that the Lord, you're on the potter's wheel and shall the clay say unto the potter how what the potter ought to do. But you know what it teaches? It teaches you that when God finds something in you that's not where it ought to be, that you have to be willing to get rid of it in order for him to make you what you should be. Otherwise, you know what he'll do? He'll make you like a teapot in a china cabinet. Now you ask yourself this, and I just mentioned this the other day, but how many of you got, don't raise your hands, you're going to be embarrassed right now. How many of you got China when you got married and you ain't used it 10 times since you've been married for 30 years? It's something you look at. It's pretty. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> ain't nobody else laughing. You sit there and look at that stuff and it's pretty, but you're afraid to put anything hot in it, it might explode, right? And you put something too cold in it, it'll crack. It's a pretty little China, right? And even the plates, you don't take them out. You know what you're better off as a wedding gift? Give them a one-year subscription to styrofoam plates. <laughs> Man, are you kidding? You just got married and you're worried about washing dishes after dinner's over with? That's what's on your mind? What's wrong with you? You smoking crack or something, man? I mean, you're with the love of your life. You got evening time to be together, eat dinner and do something else. But for the Lord's sake, man, we got to wash dishes. What a drag. You got 40 years to get into all that. 
In the meantime, paper cups, paper plate, plastics, baby. I'm saying we're, we're good, man. Clean up, hefty bag. God's good, baby. Hey, did you take care of the dishes? Got them right now. All done. Right? But can I say this to you? Suppose you're on there and in your mind you're thinking, I'm going to be a teapot. And the Lord said, I don't really need a teapot right now. You know what I need? I need a plate. You know what that means? It's going to be marred in the hands of the parter. You say, what's he going to do? He's going to take that teapot and he's going to mash it flat. And it's going to lose its image. It's going to lose its reputation. It's going to lose every single thing that it thought it was going to be. I'm going to be a little teapot, short and stout. And here's my handle and here's my spout. Oh, help me. And the Lord said, no, you know what I need right now? I need a saucer. I need a, a dinner plate. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to do something. You ever notice plates are kind of nondescript? Plates are where they dump everything on it. You know, the outside of the teapot looks nice. You can't see what's on the inside. But on a plate, no matter how pretty the plate is, it gets covered up with food. You ever notice that? But let me ask you a question. What gets used more, the plate or the teapot? So you have to ask yourself this question. Do you want to be used or not? Well, guess what? You might get dirty doing it. You're like a dirty rag in his back pocket. You know, one of them rags you wipe everything down with, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to change the oil, and I don't want to clean the bugs off the windshield, and I don't want to wipe that down, and I don't want to wipe snotty noses and all those other kind of things like that. And the Lord said, even if you're in my hand, I'd rather be a rag in his hands than a teapot in the cabinet. Well, that's the second thing I want to tell you is, is that sometimes you need direction. Well, they needed direction. You say, why? They were biblically ignorant. They knew what he had said, but it hadn't grabbed them yet. They yet knew not the resurrection. Why? They hadn't seen it. They don't get it just yet. And then you come down to that passage there, if you were there with me in John chapter number 20, and there's Mary, man, she's bawling and squalling. The Bible said they went back, and it doesn't take you long to figure out the they. The men left. There's something about them women, they just have an ability to stay with it and stay with it and stay with it. I mean, man, I mean, they stay with you like leprosy. Amen. I mean, that is a, probably not a good correlation, but <laughs> they get in your bones. They get connected to you. Boys, you ever pause and think about what your wife has had to put up with and how many years she's had to put up with it to keep her from walking out the door to deal with your sorry self? I mean, I don't know unless Jesus is here. I don't know of anybody here that's been a perfect husband. Amen. And there she is. And taking care of the stuff you don't want to take care of. I got one like that. I look at her sometimes and I think she must be not only blind, she must be crazy. <laughs> Why would she subject herself to that? God puts something in them. When they get loyal, they stick with it in spite of how bad it might be. That old girl still down there, you know what she's thinking? Lord, nobody else took care of me like you did. And Lord, if it hadn't been for you, where would I be? And Lord, I'm sure I'm glad you got my life cleaned up. And I'm sure I'm glad you forgave me. Nobody else would forgive me. And Lord, if you hadn't have come by my way. And she's down there bawling and squalling. And she is so distraught and in such great despair that when the Lord comes up there behind her, she thinks he's the gardener. You know what can happen sometimes? You can get in such great despair and such great twist over situations that are going on. The loss of a loved one. Difficulties go on. 
David writes over there, or Jonathan, David's the one writing it there, or Samuel's writing it, but Jonathan says over there to David, he said, if you don't show up, your seat will be vacant and you shall be sorely missed. Man, she's missing somebody she loves. You ever lose somebody like that? You say, what do you need to do? Well, you not only need direction, you need comfort. You ever look at some of the altars over there in the Old Testament? You know, sometimes people come to the altar. You know what they do? They come there and they offer. David comes up after the forgiveness is given to him there in 1 Chronicles 21. And he comes over there and the Bible says he pours out on the altar a, a drink offering of thanksgiving. Sometimes you need consolation, don't you? Don't you need care and help sometimes? She's down there making an altar out of a flower bed. She's down there in the daisies and the tulips, man. She's down there in the Johnny jump ups and stuff and looking around there. They try so hard to make the graveyards look pretty, you know, and they got all these things that are showing spring and things that are alive and she's thinking he's dead, he's gone, he's dead. This is terrible. And he walks up behind her and she said, tell me where he's at. I think she's a little bitty thing. I don't think she's big as a minute. I think she probably weighs 100 pounds soaking wet. And she's looking at that man, tears are just dried on her face, man, and salt stains down the sides of her cheeks. And she's sitting there, looks like a dry creek bread. And she looks up and says, just tell me where you've taken him. I'll make arrangements. I'll get him. I won't tell your secret. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Just let me, just tell me where he's at. And he looks at her and he says, Mary, sometimes you miss the Lord. He's standing right there, but you need to turn around to see him. You made a decision to be going in this direction and he's standing behind you. You say, well, why is he standing behind me? Maybe he wants to stop you and have you turn around. Maybe you're going the wrong direction. Maybe you're moving too fast. Maybe you're deceived by that despair and by that grief. Listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen. Paul said we sorrow, but not at those that have no hope. Death is a sad thing. I've seen too much of it. I'm ready to be done with it. But it's a fact of life. But you can get wrapped up in that. Before long, the Grim Reaper will get a two-for-one every time. I've seen him take down entire families. I've seen him take down generations of individuals after a loved one's gone that for generations on, they never got past that thing. Paul didn't say don't sorrow. He said, hey, we got hope. And our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. You know what has to happen? Sometimes you come down and you say, Lord, could you help me? I just need some help. I just need some comfort. I just need some care. I just, I just, uh, I, I'm here, Lord. You ever wonder when that old prostitute comes in there and the Bible says she's weeping so much that she wets his feet with her tears? It takes a lot of water to wash somebody's feet, doesn't it? You ever wonder why? Man, that old girl's heart is broke like an egg under a giant's heel. She feels dirty, she feels filthy, she feels cast aside, probably don't have a daddy, doesn't have anybody that loves her or cares about her, and all anybody's interested in is what they can get from her, and then they cast her aside, they won't even recognize her in public. Boy, what she's done with her life. And she comes in there and Jesus said, I can help you. And the old Pharisee says, boy, if he knew who just touched him, well, you see the difference in the two natures right there. The Lord had no ill-gotten ideas about who the woman was and obviously knew it. But you have to ask yourself this question, how'd that Pharisee know her? Unless he's snooping around in things he's got no business snooping around in. 
Can I say this to you? Sometimes in times of despair and sometimes in times of discouragement, sometimes when you just feel like your legs are going to fall right out from under you, it's a good place to just kind of curl up around your favorite spot, curl up in the chair and grab your Bible and start asking the Lord to help you and spend some time with Him. He might just show up and say, and call your name. You say audibly? No, but you know when God's talking to you. Can't you feel his arm wrap around you sometimes? Haven't you felt him strengthen you at times? Haven't you felt him staunch the dam of tears that have bursted and running all over? Haven't you seen him stop that and hold that back? Haven't you felt a peace in your heart in spite of the circumstances of the situation? You say, "What? Well, that's God speaking to you. That's God saying, hey, I'm not here to whoop you. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm not here to laugh at you or make fun of you. I'm here to weep with those that weep. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to have that feeling. Hey, I was human. All God but all man. I wept over the city. I wept over the unbelief in John chapter number 11. I know what it is to hurt. Aren't you glad that you have a Savior, a priest that can be touched with the feelings of your, infir- the feelings of your infirmities? Man, I've seen grown men, I mean, just, I mean, break and squall and bawl and go all to pieces. You say what? Death of a little child? Death of a loved one? Just weep uncontrollably? It ain't just women crying. I've seen them weep and moan and cry. I mean, man, you think, my goodness, are they ever going to get past that? Right there over a little baby that's laying there in the incubator. The baby's finally took its last breath. One of the saddest things I've ever seen. Prayed and prayed and prayed and been up for hours and days and days and days on end. God do something, God do something, God do something. God did something. He let the baby go home. That's a rough road to hoe, isn't it? My parents lost that first child and that, uh, that doctor came in in a drunken stupor and grabbed that youngin by the, with those forceps. In those days they used that a lot and squeezed too hard and mashed that baby's brains and pulled that uh, baby out. Lasted two days and two nights and they were about done with the whole thing. My dad said he went out in the parking lot, shook his fist at God and said, I'm done. You said, well, I would never do that. Well, okay, good for you. He did. He gave up professional baseball and a couple other things and said, I'll serve you. That's what I get as my gift, a dead child. I mean, how would you feel about that? And he goes out there, and then they're standing there at the funeral processional, and they come by there. They call it laying out in those days, and they come by there, and that Miss White comes by there, and she says, Preacher, you believe babies go to heaven, don't you? She said, Sure, I'm not a Calvinist. I believe babies go to heaven. You think we should pause for a moment, Pastor, and think of all the babies in the world that the Lord could have took home, he took Stephen. My daddy said, man, all of a sudden, man, he felt the Lord come down there and say, I got it. Gave him three other healthy children. I was one of those three. What would have happened if he, I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I'm telling you, in times of despair, it's good to have a comfort, even if you don't have the answer. I don't know what the answer is for everybody about everything. Couldn't tell you. Have no idea. I've seen them go every kind of way. Well, I've seen them go a lot of kind of ways. Maybe you've seen more of it. I'm not trying to compare things, but I've seen it go, and I've seen it go hard for some of them. They've done the best to warn them and done their best to warn them and didn't work out. Well, you follow on down on that passage there. Next thing you know, they're up there having a big meeting there with the Lord and having a good time, and he comes through the doors up there and and, uh, walks into the middle of the meeting, and he said, See me and handle me a spirit hath not flesh and bone, and... And uh, there's a missing party that's there. The first independent Baptist that's in the Bible is right here. It's not John the Baptist. It's Thomas. 
You say, it's not Thomas the Baptist. No, it's Thomas the Baptist in practice. You say, why? He wasn't in church on Sunday night. He got all he needed on Sunday morning. I think the rapture is going to happen on a Sunday night. You say, why? To catch all of you sitting in your recliner instead of being where you're supposed to be. <laughs> or at the ball game or the fishing boat or on an early trip getting out of here. I can't prove that, but I think it'd be kind of neat. <laughs> but at any rate, you say, well, you're the devil. Maybe sometimes. But let me say this to you, Thomas comes along there and all those people come out and they say, boy, should have been at a revival meeting, boy, it's really something, man. I mean, the Lord showed up there, boy, this kind of glory was there, so thick, man, you couldn't get out without a C&I dog. Boy, I'm telling you what, you wouldn't have believed that, man. We got down there, had some fish and honeycomb with the Lord there. Boy, we had us a hallelujah good time. Boy, we got our faith confirmed by sight. We saw the resurrected Lord. Man, it was good. He breathed on us. We got power from on high. Man, you wouldn't have believed it. You know what Thomas said? I don't believe that happened. I won't believe it unless I see it. The Lord wouldn't show up unless I was there. You know what I honestly believe? I honestly believe that some of you think that. A crowd this size, I bet you there's somebody here that doesn't think anybody could have a church service unless you were in attendance. You say, why? Self-important. Somebody special. Got to let everybody know how much God's blessing you. Y'all ever know anybody like that? Y'all, again, y'all probably don't have those up here in the north. We got them in the south, man. We call them hemorrhoids in the south. I don't know what you call them up here, you know. But, but at any rate, we call them hemorrhoids. You say, why? They show up at the wrong time. They burn an itch and swell up. Help me, sister. It's funny. It's okay laughing, church. It's all right. And you give them special attention because they're drawing attention. And you give them enough special ointment. And then they draw up and blow off and blow out and you never hear nothing from them. You have not, see, that's a good illustration. But you know what happens? Thomas is a little self-important there. Thomas wasn't where he was supposed to be. Not only that, Thomas thought wrong of himself for being there. He thought, there's no way the Lord showed up. And you know what he said? I'll not believe it unless I put my fingers in his nail prints and I put my hand in his side. Well, that's a challenge. You ever done that with the Lord? Well, Lord, if you're really real, you better be careful. You better be careful. He is real. He doesn't have to prove himself to you. He already showed himself by dying on Calvary's cross for you, and he died and was buried and raised again the third day for you. What else does he need to do for you? Prove yourself. That's the devil. If you be the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you be the Son of God, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. If you be the Son of God, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdom. Prove it to me. He doesn't have to prove it. He is. You do know his name, right? I am. Moses says to him, Lord, who shall I tell him sent you? He said, I am. He said, I know that. But he said, who do I tell him? He said, I am. I'm not going to have to do anything to try to convince him. Tell him I am. Well, Thomas is down there and the Lord waits eight days. You count on the Jewish calendar, that would be until the next first day of the week. Count the day they're on. They go through that thing, go eight days, and the Bible's been showing up there again for church. And the Lord steps into the crowd right there and he says to him, he says, hey Thomas, can I ask you a question? Have you ever had any doubts about the Lord? Anybody? I can relate to Thomas. 
You call him Doubt and Thomas, you can call me Doubt and David. You say, why? Well, I've doubted it. I don't see how the Lord's going to do certain things. I'm amazed at what God does at certain times. It just completely baffles me. And I doubt, well, is the Lord really in that? Well, why would the Lord let that happen? They're a good family. They're good people. And they were doing the right thing and living right. And I know all the verses in the Bible, but I got doubts. Lord, how are you going to get this done? How are you going to get this across? I'm working against the timeline right now. Lord, you told me. I thought you told me. This is what you wanted me to do. But Lord, if you don't intervene here supernaturally, tick tock, Lord, I mean, the parenthesis is fixing to close. Have you ever doubted? Lord, where are you at? That's southern for where are you. I know he's behind the at. Some of you English majors are like, oh, those southerners, they're so... But, but listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You ever had doubts? Oh, we got a lot more in common with, Don, with Thomas than we want to admit, don't we? How's God going to get me through? My mom has been home now by herself. My dad's been gone 30 years. 28, I guess. He's been gone about, about 28 years. And she's been by herself. She's 93 years old now. He died when he was 64. She's been by herself every night. She said the worst time is 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. And she happens to wake up and just listen to that old grandfather clock. Seconds feel like hours. Where are you, Lord? The guy was your preacher. Pastored big churches. Left the big pastorate and went into evangelism. Preached 48 48 meetings a year. I mean, Lord, what are you doing? 64 years of age and he's out of here. Say, what is that? Doubt? You ever have doubt about things? You know what you have to do? You have to pray this prayer. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, I need help. I'm weak. I'm doubting you. I don't expect Christians to have the ability that some older people, they've seen God come through and God come through and God come through. My wife got sick a couple of years back there, got real sick, and they gave her this, you know, you got two years even with treatment kind of a deal. And they were very kind about the way they said it, but it kicked like a stinking mule. Felt like I got gored by a bull. And I'm thinking, two years, man, 24 months. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, what in the world is going on here? And doubt creeps in. Lord, I know all things work together for good. And them love God, them are called according to his purpose. How are you going to fix this? Watch her go through all that horrible stuff that she went through and getting burned like a roasted pepper on a gas stove and, and throwing up and losing hair and all the stuff and all that kind of a deal. Now she's, she's here today. God intervened in it, but I doubted. I didn't run around like a bunch of charismatics and God's going to heal her, God's going to heal her. I'm thinking, what you going to do without her? What you going to do without her? I'm not like y'all. You're like, oh, God's got this. Well, sometimes he does, and sometimes his way of getting it is, like when my dad died, the fellow called, he said, Hey, Brother Peacock, I heard your dad was really sick, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you and praying for him. How's he doing? I said, Man, a complete recovery. He said, You're kidding. I heard he was at death's door, and I said, Yeah, he was. And he said, Well, what in the world happened? I said, He died. (laughs) Now, see, if you're a Christian, you get that. I don't want to see my dad lay there and suffer like that anymore. 
throwing up all that stuff and turning yellow and swelling up like a pumpkin at harvest time or a watermelon in the summertime. I didn't want to see that man having a hard time breathing, no quality of life, couldn't even enjoy a chocolate milkshake and a cinnamon roll, man. I mean, couldn't do nothing. And the Lord said, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to take him to the house. Wednesday night about 9 o'clock after church service would have been over, I'm laying there watching, gasping and gasping. Mama comes over there and says goodbye, and off he goes. And I'm over there waving. <laughs> but you have doubt. Lord, if you do that to a saint. When Jim died, 54 years of age, he's one of the closest friends, the closest friend in the ministry I've ever had. It doesn't stop there. When Monroe died just a couple of years back, I think I mentioned it to you last year, I've known him 45 years. We came through the police department together. We hunted together. And he goes into the hospital, and that poor old buck, he has to wind up dying without even anybody being in the room there with him. I'm talking to him on the Zoom thing on a regular basis at night. The nurses and come in, or the doctors, and say, okay, hey, preacher, you can go ahead and talk to your friend, and they'd leave the room and leave the thing. He's laying there on paralytics. He's in a coma, so a, a, a medically induced coma, and they're trying to help him the best they know how, and I'm watching him there and watching the machine breathing for him and stuff, and I'm talking to him and talking about old times, and I'm going to ask him when I get up there, did you hear anything? I said, no response, just that stupid when I first started talking with him at the beginning of that thing, I'd look for a twitch in a finger like he was trying to talk to me or something, you know and that kind of a deal got there right before the last time, the nurse worked a miracle and allowed us to get down she's a physician's assistant, we got down in the room and they put us in quarantine and they let us all go in there and I got in there to grab that big old bull of a man's hand and I got him and I can remember time that hand wrapped around a barbell and pulled 750 pounds off the ground in a deadlift that man had a grip like steel without straps and he'd grab a hold of that hand just dead cold, swollen up. And I'm holding on to his hand. Wife, tears running down her face. Daughter right there behind me. Hands on my shoulder. And I'm praying. And off he goes. He pulled all the stuff out. He said, what is that? Boy, sometimes you got doubts, don't you? Lord, where's the good in this? That old girl's by herself. She's a good woman. I worked down at the sheriff's office with her for 30. She worked down there 38 years. How you figure that out? Doubts. Don't they come in? You say, what do you need to do? You need to bring that doubt to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm not sure. Can you show me? He's not put off by that. Can you help me? When's the last time that you considered going to the Lord and just said, Lord, I, I, I'm having some doubts. I, I know what you say, but I, I, my faith's weak. And just be honest with him. You see how so far what I've given you, it'll get you completely distracted from worrying about everybody else's business and getting in everybody else's life. You know what it does? It puts your focus on Him. Can I give you just one more? We've got just a couple of minutes. We're running along all right. I hope it's helping you. It's making sense. Maybe. It's important. It's important. You say, what? Prayers and altars. Prayers and altars. You say, what does that do? Man, your, alt your life began at the altar of Calvary. That's where the great sacrifice was made. The greatest form of worship is when you sacrifice. How do you know? Jesus Christ was offered as a sacrifice for your sins. That's where your life in Christ began, at an altar. And somebody else was on it. And boy, to be able to grab a hold of that thing, man, that's something you could never repay. Well, you get reading on down through that passage, and old Pete there, he's going to show up. And uh, Pete winds up doing something that many of us 
Uh, maybe we're more guilty of it than we think. Pete says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to come back around to the guilt complex. You say, well, why would, the, why would Peter do that? I'm in John, I'll be in 21 now, if you're following through the passage. In John 21, Peter says, I can go in fishing. And the boys that are there with you, you know what they said? We go also. Peter has influence, right? And Peter goes over there and gets in the fishing boat. And you say, why do you think Peter left? I think Peter deserted the Lord because he felt like I have... Dip the colors. I betrayed the Lord. I denied the Lord. I'm out there and I let two little old girls uh, make me deny the Lord. And uh, I, I said I wouldn't and I did. You see the arrogance of Peter? It'll never happen to me. Why, Peter is one of the big dogs. Peter's along there before Paul. Of the twelve, Peter's the big dog. Now, can I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen? I'll try to hurry. I know you're hot to blazes in here and ready to eat a donut. Can I say this to you? <laughs> Here's the, here's the problem. Peter got so self-assured and so self-confident that he forgot he was just a man. And the position that he held was bigger than what he actually had. He thought he was more important to the body than he actually was. That's why when the Lord said, one of you is going to betray me tonight, are you listening to me? Peter stood up and said, not me. Were you sure, a little bit too sure of yourself there, Peter. And he said, Lord, though all others betray thee, Yet will not I. And they spoke the more vehemently. All the rest of them said, yes, neither. Okay, so now you're all calling the Lord a liar. Boy, Peter, you got a, a bunch of people following after you there. And the Lord turns to him, you know what he says? He says, hey, Peter, before this night is over with, you're going to betray me. Before the chicken decides to let go of the crow twice, you'll deny me, deny me thrice. And Peter comes out of there, man, and then the next thing you find him sleeping out there in the garden, the Lord says, you better wake up. The spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak. Peter, you better pray. You better watch and pray. You better watch and pray. You know what happened? Man, they take him over there to the praetorium, and Peter's out there warming himself by a strange fire with strange people and cussing like a sailor and telling dirty jokes and all that. And they walk up to him and say, hey, weren't you one of his? And he said, I didn't even know him. Why, Peter, he helped you walk on water. What do you mean you didn't know him? He healed your mother-in-law. Peter, you were there when the widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. What do you mean you didn't know him? You were there when he cleansed the lepers, when he gave Bartimaeus his eyesight back. What do you mean you didn't know him? You were there when he took five barley loaves and two fishes and fed the multitudes. What do you mean you didn't know him, Peter? But you get in that kind of a twist, you know what can happen? Every one of us can come into that situation where we wind up denying the Lord and we think that disqualifies us. And Peter said, I'm out of here. I admire him that he didn't put the pressure on the Lord to keep him around after what he did. But that's a little bit of an easy way out. You know what he should have done? He'd already seen the Lord twice. You know what he should have done? He should have been down at his feet saying, Lord, forgive me. And put me back in the game. Or do whatever you can with me. I've messed up. I'm almost done. You stay with me. Just a second now. Listen. He's out fishing. Let me show you how bad out of fellowship he is. He's out there fishing. And the Bible says they all looked up on the shore. They didn't even recognize the Lord. None of them. Until he spoke. And when he spoke, Peter got ready to shoot his mouth off. And John said, Peter, don't you recognize that voice? Don't you recognize the tone of that voice? 
Why, Peter, you've heard that voice every day for three and a half years. Don't you recognize who that is? Peter, it's the Lord. And this time Peter doesn't walk on water. And Peter grabs him a fishing coat. You say, why? You don't go stand in front of the Lord without nothing on. Maniac of Gadara, when the Lord fixed him up, he's seated and clothed and in his right mind. He's not taking off and being a streaker. At any rate, Peter comes down there and he's swimming to the shore with that big old heavy fishing coat on there. And this time when the Lord looks down there, instead of reaching down there to help him when he got him to walk on water, he extends a hand, something different about it. The big old diamond right in the middle of that, those two bones that run right through there. Median nerve runs right up through there. And there's a little diamond right there, a hole in it. He said, grab hold, Peter. Peter puts his hand right there and the Lord grabs a hold of him. You say, what is that? That's him going to Calvary for even the sin of denying him. You ever deny the Lord? I'm ashamed to say I have. I was going into a grocery store to get some stuff one day, one morning, and I had on uh, sweatpants and a t-shirt and flip-flops. It's Florida, so I mean, you know, I looked like something the cat drug in. Didn't look pastoral at all. And I grabbed my stuff and threw it in the car and I went down to the store and I pulled up there and there's four black guys sitting over here in the fire lane and they're blowing a blunt you know, or smoking a joint, whatever you want to call it, smoking marijuana. <laughs> and they're over there, don't some of you go jonesing now, You're, just stay with me here, okay, stay, stay in the moment, stay in the moment. Before long we'll be seeing pink bunny rabbits running around here. <laughs> and so all, all of a sudden, you know, the Lord says, you know, give those guys a track. I said, I, now, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm the police. I'm not supposed to be getting involved in the neighborhood stuff. And if I do that, man, I'm going to get into something. And I ain't even got a gun on me, Lord. <laughs> I mean, he said, I didn't ask you to shoot him. I asked you to give him a track. <laughs> That's how he talks to me. I said, okay, well, I'll get him on the way out. And I got my stuff, and I'm being honest with you now. I was hoping on the way out they'd be gone. It's one of them kind of half promises. Well, now, Lord, if they're there when I come out, I put out the fleece. And I'm just saying, if they're there, I'll, you know, I'll be jumped, man. I come out with the milk and the bread and the eggs and whatever else I had in that bag. And I come out, and there they are. The Lord said, okay, well, there you go. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't have a track on me. I'm in my sweatpants. I got on my, got on my workout clothes, Lord. He said, Drain Lynn's got tracks in the car. It's full of them. You know that. They're right in the glove box. So I sat down in the car and I opened it up. Sure enough, there were the tracks. <laughs> I said, Lord, I don't know. I think I'm, a, I, I just think I'm going to, I'm going to wind up in trouble, Lord. I, I just, I, I think I better, I closed that club box, man. I fired up that Jeep and I took off. I drove right past him. I got about halfway down the road there out of the parking lot, about halfway down the road going back to my house, and the Lord said, not audibly, but sure as I'm standing here, boy, you sure are a big old tough guy. You stand down there on the fountain in public and preach out on the street and all that other kind of stuff, and you take the ridicule and those kind of things, you big old tough policeman who stand in the pulpit and rip everybody's face off, and all I ask you to do is go hand some kids a track, and you run like a little girl. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, you talk about broken and scared. 
and I hit the brakes and I turned around in the middle of the road. I guess I saw people I hadn't seen in a long time. They were honking the horn at me and waving at me funny and all kind of stuff, man. Kind of, hey, how are you? Yeah, good to see you too, you know. People I didn't even know were waving at me, you know, and saying all kind of things. And I, now I'm praying, Lord, please don't let them be gone. Please don't let them be gone. Man, I was going to go if it killed me. I got there and I thought, man, they're still there. Man, I jumped out. I, uh, I, I parked. I jumped out and I walked over there and guy on the driver's side rolled it down. The man, the music was banging along and that kind of stuff. And when he rolled that thing down, man, if I had inhaled, I'd have been flying like a kite, man. <laughs> I'd have been seeing Mars and Jupiter and everything else up there. I'd have been so high. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, my goodness, man. And the guy in the back seat, in the back right-hand passenger side, he said, man, turn that stuff down. That's a preacher. I'm thinking, how do you know that? <laughs> it looked like no preacher. The other one said, Monty, told me this coming. And I said, hey, fellas, I said, uh, the Lord wanted me to give you this. Just tell you how to get to heaven when you die and make sure you don't wind up in hell. And I apologize. I should have given it to you earlier. The guy sitting on the back right behind the driver, he says, hey, man, you got one of them things for me? I said, uh, yeah, matter of fact, I got some of them in my car. He said, give me one of my own. Now, I'd like to tell you they all got saved and all that other kind of stuff, and I left them with the tracks and that kind of a deal, and then I left out of there. I went home and resigned. I got out on the floor, and I said, Lord, I'm a stinking coward, and I'm no good, and I quit, and I just did the same thing as Peter. I'm going fishing. I know how to be a policeman and happen to be pretty decent at it, but I don't deserve to be no preacher. I'm a stinking coward. Wouldn't even be obedient to your orders. I know about chain of command. And Lord, I disobeyed an order. I just, just kicked me out. I'm disqualified. And the Lord said, um, okay, you're out. You're back in. <laughs> he said, you deserve to be out. And you deserve to be back in. And Peter reaches down there and grabs, the Lord reaches down there and grabs Peter. And Peter grabs his hand and he pulls him up. You know what he says to him? He didn't say, Peter, why did you deny me? Why did you desert me? Why'd you betray me? You know what he said? Peter, do you love me? Okay, well, that's all I care about. Go back and feed the lambs. Go back and feed the sheep. I bet you if Peter could erect an altar right now, if you read according to what happens to him over there in Acts where he takes a good whooping man for mentioning the name of Jesus, I bet you Jesus meant so much to him, I bet he'd be like them leaping lepers and he'd erect an altar of nothing more than just thanksgiving. God, you sure have been good to me to forgive me and I won't dip the colors ever again. You know what you can't find? You can't find him dipping the colors anymore. Because he was grateful the Lord gave him another chance. Funny what guilt will do to you, isn't it, boys? You messed up? Okay, fess up, get up, and let's go on. And you have to recognize something in every story that I gave you tonight. Sometimes there's things that you don't understand about the Lord. You say, what is it? It's an opportunity for you to get focused back on the Lord as to what you need to be able to do. Lord, what do I need to do when times of uncertainty and despair? I go and pray. I talk to you. That's a great time to pray. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm in great despair. I need some comfort. I need some help. Lord, I've doubted you. Lord, I've deserted you. Those are all great times to pray. It's a great time to have fellowship with the Lord. That's the secret. That's the key to a real Christian life, ladies and gentlemen. And you're going to need it in the time to come. If the Bible's right, there's going to be more and more pressure on you to get out. I'm going to be done with this, but listen to me. 
That Bible said, In the last day many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That Bible says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they, the church, will not endure sound doctrine, but heap to themselves after their own lust, teachers having itching ears, and be turned from the truth and turned unto fables. You know what you're going to need? You're going to need supernatural help. And if you don't have it, you're not going to make it. It's not a life of perfection. It's a life of failure and getting up and saying, Lord, do you realize more than more times than not, I hate to say this, this is a shameful testimony. More times than not, I'm closer to the Lord when I'm messing up than I am when I'm doing right. You say, why? It has a tendency to drive me to Calvary. You ever been like that? I do good when I'm sick. No, I do, man. I do good when I'm sick. It irritates the stew out of my wife. She's like, man, suck it up. Let's go. What's wrong with you, you know? But I'm in there praying, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, you know, I got 99.3 fever. I'm going to die. <laughs> Help me, Lord. You know, all that kind of a deal. But I'm not sinning. I'm, I'm talking to the Lord. But when things are going good, she slips just a little bit. You let my hind end get caught in a vice. Boy, I start hollering like a little girl. And now I'm recognizing sometimes those bad things are good things because those bad things drive me to the good thing and helps me to be where I need to be, and that's in fellowship with Him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Your pastor's going to come. You need prayer. You need an altar. You need prayer. You need an altar.